Hi guys, KO here. I had this incredible opportunity to be a part of PodMax 2020. It was a digital conference bringing podcasters together with different entrepreneurs and visionaries, inventors, and we had a day of podcasting together. So we each got about three guests. And one of my first ones was Robert Gregor. And we are talking about EMDR. He is an expert in the field. It's a very forward thinking approach to healing and therapy, uh, trauma, sports performance, uh, everything really around mental health and wellness. It's something we're going to be hearing a lot more about. We'll explain exactly what that is on this cast. Uh, But really lean in because this is something that's really important as we lean into the mental health and wellness of our nation. Stick with us all the way to the end so you know how you can get a hold of Robert and hear more about what he's doing in his journeys and there might just be some pro tips in the mix. Enjoy. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Questioning a better way, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. I'm super excited to be Robert today. I'm going to let him do his intro. As we do, we have so many good angles to go. I got Robert's bio and in a nutshell, he's very vulnerable and open on his background and his journey. And it is exactly what our young humans need. So without further ado, Robert, give us your welcome and uh, give us a little background on you. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. Um, it's, a, it's a real honor and pleasure to be here. Um, so what I, who I am, I'm a, a registered clinical counselor up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I'm a certified EMDR therapist and approved uh, EMDR consultant. And I'm a published author on EMDR. I think we have to explain what that is probably for listeners. Um, and I'm also obviously the owner and, and, and uh, founder of my, my business, Krieger Counseling. Gosh, I have a long story just like probably everybody else, which uh, may take us several episodes to go through. But uh, <laughs> yeah, lots of pain, lots of suffering, um, anxiety, depression my whole life. And, um, and uh, I became a healer for a couple of different reasons, but one of them was to heal myself and then to heal other people and try to, to, to help them through their pain. And then, uh, you know, I, I ended up finding EMDR and you know, the rest is history. But obviously, I think we could probably get into some details, um, but that's a quick bio uh, of me right now. Uh, I love that. Well, that was a very quick um, bio. And I, I, we are limited on time. Otherwise, I'd be like, go ahead, give us all the 10 hours. Because I think that background and providing those, those ethos on why you're doing what you're doing now is, is so incredible to hear, particularly in a time when we see pharmaceuticals and um, you know medications and our young people, youth suicides higher than ever. Like this, these are really deep, important conversations to have. And now you add in this epidemic of CD19 and we're at home by ourselves or, or feeling disconnected. Like this, this is such an important conversation. Um, I've had some exposure to uh, EDMR. Am I saying that correctly? EMDR. E- EMDR. Yeah. Okay. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing for listeners that, that aren't aware. I'll let you, we're going to have you explain it, but I will say I've had some exposure, not even to that spe- specifically, but because of sports and wellness to some of these outside modalities that are otherwise not as popular or you're not exposed to unless it's for a specific reason, but they're, un- they're incredible 
um, different opportunities to do a different approach to healing and wellness and uh, mental health and what I call my mental wealth. So anyways, I'll let you explain it because I'm sure it'll be much more uh, eloquent than what I am. But these are the epitome of my graceful disruptors and questioning a better way. So this is why I'm so excited to have you on. So explain to us um, how you got into it and really initially, how did you, you, you know, you're feeling, you know, hurt and lost or what have you, how did you navigate into where you're at now versus the traditional route, very generally speaking? Yeah, good, good questions. And I, and I just want to say, I love that mental wealth. That's beautiful. Um, so how I managed through my earlier pains and sufferings, um, you know, this, I have to also say, you know, it, it really started, I, I know now that it started far before I was even born. It was from my parents and their parents and their parents, sort of this legacy of pain that's the negative beliefs that are passed down through generation to generation, along with positive traditions and all of that, of course. But I was born into this sort of um, space, this, this atmosphere filled with um, high expectations for performance which is, you know, my, my, my father is a doctor, uh, hearing that I should be a lawyer or a doctor, like everybody else in your family, Robert. Um, and, you know, obviously that's high expectations for a child. I, I, at the time, I just wanted to be an artist. I just wanted to paint and draw and just kind of do my thing, maybe a comic book artist, uh, which is totally cool for, for, for whoever wants to do that. But um, I, so I wasn't good enough. Uh, I was bullied a lot in school. Um, I had this anxiety, depression uh, long before I even knew what they were. Um, I navigated myself through those feelings through addictions. And it was at, at the young age, it was food. It was uh, TV, video games, and pornography when I discovered it. That helped me to not feel the pain you know, growing up in a sort of a household where there's, there's an allure of perfectionism there, which is actually pretty common for a lot of the professional athletes that I work with and, and other leaders in the different categories of business and, and film. But there's a lot of, there's high expectations. So there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of fear of not being able to perform, the fear of not being able to be the best. And um, so I managed it through those addictions. And then as I went through, through life, I ended up upgrading my addictions to alcohol and drugs and, um, and sex that really sent me down. You know, it was, it was, it was numbing myself at the time that really helped me to get through the pain, but it was really making it worse because the decisions I was making was making my life worse. And, um, I went through, uh, four plus years of talk therapy with a therapist and, um, you know, I loved my therapy. She was wonderful. Um, but I didn't solve my problems. I didn't get, you know, the type of healing that I really needed. I mean, it's funny. I think after, after sessions, I would be so stressed out that I'd go re immediately to the bar and have some shots, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just so I could calm down. Oh, I don't want to interrupt your flow, but how did you even, so even getting to talk therapy, which is, it's, you know, known now, and I still think there's stigma around that, unfortunately. Um, but how did you, what was even your first step into talk therapy? Like, was your family okay with that? Or was this just your decision? Yeah, that was a long path. Uh, I ended up, uh, I didn't even know about psychology until I was in my undergrad, if you can believe it or not. I came from a very, very small town. And, you know, English was the closest thing to, you know, anything to do with psychology. Um, so I ended up um, discovering philosophy first. 
And um, actually, my, my mother went to, um, uh, she did an undergrad in, in psychology. So there were a couple of books around and I didn't really look into it, but I actually have one of Freud's you know, early books. So oh, I was wow. like, oh, this is really cool. So I kind of idolized these you know, thinkers, these, you know, big men, usually these huge, huge people, uh, these leaders in the, in the industry. Um, and then when I went into my undergrad, I said a lot of philosophy, existentialism, and, and really wanted to discover, I was really concerned about why the heck am I here? And why am I experiencing so much pain? Because this shouldn't be how life is about, you know, I shouldn't be in so much pain. And um, that sort of naturally, I ended up taking some minor courses in psychology in my undergrad and I fell in love with it. I had some wonderful mentors and I from there decided that maybe there's something to this counseling thing, this psychology thing. Maybe I should kind of explore that a little bit because I of course partied so much in my first year of undergrad that I failed out of my um, graphic communications and management course, which is about you know printing press and, and then how to run websites to do with printing. Okay. Um, I just hated it. It's like, I'm gonna, this yeah. is not me. I wanted to be a marketer. I didn't want to be running a printing press. So I obviously do your research before you sign into something um, like four years. Uh, so I ended up kind of idolizing this idea of talk therapy being this lifelong investment with a client and you know, how amazing would it be to spend 10 plus years with somebody, maybe two decades, you get to meet their family go and have, you know, be invited to weddings and bar mitzvahs and stuff like that. Like, how cool is that? Yeah. Turns out that, you know, two years of talk therapy um, with a client that's suffering with major trauma is very taxing. So I thought I was actually going to burn out um, before I really even got started. So that's kind of, I ended up kind of falling into the psychotherapy field. And then I, I kind of fell into EMDR as a, as a, you know, lifeline to get me um, results for my clients. Did, so, okay. So what was your introduction there? Cause even within this like mental health and wellness arena, these are very forward conversations of like human optimization. Again, I was exposed to it because of sports and wellness. And I do deal with some pretty high end athletes and I was, you know, competing amongst them. And, and I, I was so lucky to be exposed to these because this, even in the industry, it's a really hard conversation to come by. And it's, so forward thinking and it's absolutely incredible. So how, what was your initial exposure even to EDM, EDMR? I need to, I do have my, on my brain map, it did come back as like dyslexic, like high processing and yet some forms of dyslexia. We have a whole lot going on here. You're processing so fast that yes. and your mouth can't keep up. That's what I, I I'm dyslexic too sometimes. So we'll um, yeah. So the question, how did I get into EMDR? How did, how did I kind of focus on sort of the high level functioning of like athletes and actors, et cetera? Well, yeah, I mean, just like the initial exposure to, like, where did that conversation even happen? When I first was practicing, um, I was working with kind of whomever I would would come want to work with me. So it was sort of very open, very general, and that was totally fine. I enjoyed that. I got a lot of a range of different types of clients that I would see. But it, um, as I um, transitioned into EMDR, um, when you look into it a little bit more, you know, what, what, what it really highlights is the speed of the results for a lot of people. That's really important. And, um, you know, what, what it can do is it can shorten the treatment times from, you know, two, three, four years, five years into a year, two years for, for a lot of people. Um, and, and sometimes even faster than that. 
So there's a there's a real interest for a lot of people to have that sort of speed and and maybe your experience, Kristen, with um, having you know um, a lot of goals and and probably a lot of time focused on on training and um, and and performing. There's not always that much time. You might have a month or so where you kind of have off, but then it's kind of you're back into it and a lot of a lot of focus. So I started to see um, a lot of professional you know, leaders, whether they be in the business world of uh, entrepreneurs and executives or um, film actors and, and directors. And, and I also started to see professional athletes. And that was really where my, my, my mind clicked. And, and, and I realized that, you know, honestly, every leader doesn't matter how big you are, uh, you're still a human being. Yeah. And every human being has pain that they're suffering with. And even these high, high, high professional athletes, you know, we're talking major leagues, they still have fears and they still have pain. And that pain is all due to negative beliefs about themselves. I'm not good enough. I have to be perfect. And when you're thinking high profile sports, for example, that's kind of the case. You're kind of as good as your last game. You're as good as your last competition. And you know, if those sponsorships don't come through, that's, that's a lot of pressure. So it's how to take that pressure away off of my client's backs so that they can just perform their best with being their natural, you know, God given talents or their natural abilities and allow that drive and that pure passion what what the love of the game or the sport really you know drew you into it to begin with that really comes through so it's it's about making the athlete a a, a more pure authentic version of themselves rather than you know this champion um, that has to make it every single time because when the pressure's off you perform so much better right absolutely well and, and that's i wish that's why these conversations are so important because Uh, this stuff, I think you get exposed to it, you know, perhaps there's trauma in your life and you're seeking out a solution to cope or you're in a, you're in a field where human optimization is is critical. You professional athlete, um, special forces, our military, where you have to put like your, your survival depends on your brain function. But really, I really wish this conversation was, was, you know, was greater further into our youth, even like a curricular, like a high school curriculum, because that mental health. And as I said, mental wealth is so, it's so important, whether you're on the field, you know, as a, as a military person or you're at home talking to your kids, which, I mean, you're the number one influencer in their life. As you just said, you grew up thinking a certain way. I do think genetics plays a role in how your brain literally is formed and your environment is such a critical factor. So if at an early age, we learn to let go of the stigma around mental health, or we at least understand that it's a thing is, is critical. And then if we can have younger humans living a more authentic, happier life, and they're built in with an awareness and coping mechanisms and all these other things, then you navigate around so many other issues and potential problems, not necessarily to monetize it, make money or catch a ball or whatever. It's just to live happier and be happier. Um, I love that. Can you get in a little bit of the details of, uh, EMDR and like what it what it really is and why that versus some of these other modalities and you just said obviously it's time effective um but there's an there's a field of you know if you're not feeling well you want to optimize there's so many options why EMDR 
Yeah, and I'm going to do my best to kind of link it to what you said earlier because that is one of my underlying my or my guiding philosophies is to is to really change the way mental health is seen and the way it's performed and for who needs it because that child that's born into this atmosphere um, of whatever that distress is, that person you know is now taking this distress, negative beliefs, whatever into their lives. So uh, I'll come back to that in a second and do my best to remember to get back there. But um, so what EMDR is, is an accelerated form of neurological processing. Stands for eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. It's a very long name, so we just call it EMDR. And um, what it really does is it we identify, well, some people use it as a tool, some people use it as a whole discipline, and I'm in the discipline format. So um, what EMDR does is it takes those earlier experiences in your life that are actually the root cause of your distress, because it's not last game, it's not, you know, this last week when your partner broke up with you, that is not, the, the that might be the reason why you're calling or getting into treatment, but that is not where it all started from. I can guarantee you that. So what EMDR does is we identify that current distress, what's happening in the brain right now. And the way that I do it is we focus on specifically on a belief system. So maybe if it's a professional athlete, I have to be perfect or I am worthless. That's a very common one that I get a lot. And we, where did that come from? We're going to find the roots of that this is this is experiences that happened in your life and they will they could be what we call large t traumas which are your obvious traumas like you know an assault or car crash or a terrorist bombing or those are obviously traumas or war you mentioned war um but there's also little t traumas which are the little things that are subtle that kind of go by the wayside that you don't really think are that impactful you just swept them under the rug like Maybe a family member kind of calling you a name here or there, or you know this sense of just high expectations that your parents have on you. These are all little traumas that follow people their whole lives. I'll give you an example from my own life because um, I, I got a lot. <laughs> um, but uh, when I was uh, my whole childhood, I was bullied as a kid, and I was called short, fat with glasses. I wasn't very athletic, um, so I'm still not that athletic. I like to run now, but um, I like watching baseball. But um, I used to play a little bit, but I wasn't very good. Um, but so this all fed into this belief that I'm not good enough, right? I had my friends there that were excelling at baseball or excelling at their sports, and I was always picked last in, in sports. When we did, we did a run, I was you know, one or the last person to make it across the finish line. Like, and the, this is humiliating, right? I'm, I'm this, I'm kind of this bigger kid and, and everybody's zooming past me. And, and there I am in front of the whole school huffing and puffing and basically crying my eyes out so that I can't get to the finish line fast and almost quitting. That leaves an imprint on your brain this is evidence that your brain says, yep, see there, Robert, you're not good enough, clearly. And then that your, your brain hangs on to that and, and reminds you of that next time that, oh, I'm going to do this big presentation in front of these people. Oh, remember that time when you failed? Boom, it's right there in your front of your mind because your brain is trying its best to help you 
survive again because that was a very troubling experience. You went into fight, flight, freeze. Maybe the best thing to do was to run away from that experience or shut down. And that's what your brain's going to tell you to do in that moment. So for, uh, for professional athletes, it can be a huge hurdle to get over because if you want to shut down the moment, you realize, no, I have to give it my all. And so then your, your fight is even harder perhaps than it needs to be or too much pressure on. There's obviously a fine line between you know, performing and, and there's a lot of joy that can come with um, performing at the highest level. Um, but there's also a lot of pain, a lot of pressure. So EMDR will remove the pain and allow you to be the best version of yourself and, and, and going by unlocking the, the way the brain processed those earlier events because it still hasn't done it yet. It's still hanging on to those events and, and it could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual, whatever the person needs is what EMDR can do for you. And actually, the way that I work is a little bit different than the regular EMDR therapist as well. And is it like, um, so I've done the neurofeedback and it's so funny to me that it's, it's, there's stigma around it. Cause once I had done it, it is such a luxury. Like it is a total privilege if you have the opportunity to do any of these, these things. And it was one of my clients, so I actually didn't even pay for it. Um, and I just kind of did it cause I don't really work with anyone that if I haven't like tried the supplement or whatever. Um, but I didn't know until after I'm like, Oh my God, this is incredible. And sometimes it's, it's expensive and it's just like finding a good coach. It's hard to find maybe the right like clinic or practitioner or what have you. Um, so if you can, if you have the opportunity to do something like this, it's such a total privilege. Um, but explain a little bit about the process. So the neurofeedback, I, we put on headphones and I'd watch a screen and like the brain map it, that's different, but you literally see, as you were just saying, like physical formations in your brain and they could pull out things she's, around my personality. Like she was like, you know, in high school, did you, did you just kind of want to get in and get out and do the next thing? And I'm like, Oh wow. You can see that from numbers and waves and like a thousand percent. Um, but I'm segueing, what is the actual practice of EMDR? Like, is it, you're watching a screen or is it talking or what is it? Yeah. So um, there, I'm glad you brought this up because there's a lot of parallels with, with neurooptimal. And that's, in my opinion, that's the best form of neurofeedback is neurooptimal. Um, and I, I've actually sent clients there to also get neurooptimal as well at times. Um, and EMDR is different, and, but there, there's some parallels. It, we, we're both working in the brain. There's, there, it's both about aligning and, and changing some synapses in the brain, the way that the, the synapses, the neurological frameworks are, are forming within the brain. Um, and neurooptimal is a, is a very um, relaxed, I, guess I should say they're both quite relaxed in a way, but neurooptimal, you're kind of sitting there in the chair and, and it's, it's just happening you know, to you. And that's you just sort of, your brain just kind of does it on its own. And so there's, that's really cool. And, 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 and worth it as well. And then what EMDR does is um, it kind of, I should say, in my, in my opinion, it, we're going to a whole different level that neurooptimal just can't quite go because there might be those older experiences that have to be reprocessed properly. Um, so there's, it's, I kind of think of neurooptimal as a, as a little bit of a touch up kind of like you're kind of clearing like a little bit the dust bunnies kind of kind of clearing them away and, and it can really help to you know feel calmer um, etc and what EMDR does is it's 
it, well, it looks quite, quite different. Although it, I, I do have my, you might not be able to see this on the podcast, but you got my chairs in the background and you, you can either sit up, you can lay down, it can be quite relaxing. And there's very little talking that's happening with EMDR, which is very different than talk therapy, because if you are going back to a traumatic experience or an overwhelming experience, and all you're doing is talking about it, there's a good chance that you're going to re-traumatize yourself and actually feel worse. That's why I went straight to the bar after my talk therapy sessions, because I needed to numb out a little bit. So there's very little talking with EMDR. What we're doing is we're going to create a, a, a treatment plan. And I just have to really understand roughly what we're talking about. I, I tell my clients, think of your life as like a book and each important target or memory that we're going to work on is like the chapter heading of the book. I just need to know the chapter heading and then we're going to go ahead and process, right? So it's for people that are carrying lots of shame and lots of you know difficult experiences that they don't want to go through in detail, EMDR is fantastic for that. So um, that is essentially what it looks like. And I kind of say it, in terms of how it looks, it looks very strange. Um, I guess Neuroptimal looks a little strange too, yeah. uh, right? But the clinician will be sitting in front of the client traditionally and waving our hand back and forth back and forth. And it looks a little bit like hypnosis, but it's not hypnosis. It does relax the brain a little bit. Um, but we're not really suggesting to clients, you know, how about you think about this or that? Um, it's, it's, it, so the client's going to be following the hand back and forth and, um, and that's accessing both sides of the brain because the left side of the hemisphere uh, of the brain is connected to the right eye and vice versa. So as the hand goes back and forth, you're going to, you're accessing both sides of the brain in alternating fashion. It can also be done with tapping. So you can tap on the patient's uh, knees or hands, or they can hold buzzers or it could be auditory. There's a lot of different ways that it can look, but I tell all of my clients, if they've never heard of it before, be prepared for it to look very silly. Okay. And so then, so like you're sitting in front of them and you're kind of, and they're just sitting there, like how, I'm just so fascinated on this process because the um, neurooptimal and tell me, so is this all neurofeedback and neurooptimal is the specific one where you wear headphones? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not an expert in, in neurofeedback, but from my understanding that, yeah, neurooptimal is one version of, of neurofeedback. Got it. Okay. And, um, it works in the brain, but it's a different thing entirely than EMDR. But, okay. So that's, so EMDR, but you're not hooked up to anything. No, no, there's, there's, there's no electronic, um, uh, hookups at all. You, you may hold buzzers, which are, which they're electric, but they're just held in your hands and they vibrate back and forth. Like your phone would vibrate. So it's not shock therapy. That's a common misconception. <laughs> that's, that's because the, um, the neurofeedback, it does actually look, I mean, you're literally sitting in a chair watching a screen and you put on headphones and it's completely relaxing. I'd walk out many sessions being like, okay, I gotta go to sleep. Um, but it was, it, it, it was fascinating and it was a little bit different. So like sports practice, you go, and you know you you had a great practice or you worked out because you're like sweating and you're tired. Some of these other modalities around mental training uh, or healing, however you label it, you you walk away and you're like, you can feel like tired or relaxed or, or something, but it's like, is it working? Like you don't, it's almost like you have to take a little faith in the system for a while. And it's so different than what we're trained to think um, about like 
I don't know, training or it's just such a, it's like reversing the stigma around what mental health is. In addition to like, you don't have to be tired, smoke, sore, what have you to know that something's working. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So this is kind of where I, where I'm a little bit different than, than a lot of therapists out there, because uh, I think in the traditional model of, of therapy, um, you know, you, you, you're going to, you know, time is, is your best friend. Like you have to wait and watch it take its effect. And it's going to take you oftentimes years, if not decades to really see, um, some kinds of improvement. Um, that's my, that's my belief. And that's a myth actually that I think needs to be broken because results can happen a lot faster, which is what I'm actually doing for my clients. Um, so it's within literally hours of the first day, my clients are going to be experiencing major shifts in the way that they think and, um, the way that they feel. And it's sort of like when we go past, you know, we process an old memory that used to cause a lot of pain, like, you know, like gut wrenching, like, Oh my God, I've had to think about that again, or that breakup, I'm going to cry. Well, we are actually eliminating the pain out of that. So when you're done with processing that memory, which could take anywhere from, you know, 30 minutes to an hour or two, um, the person is going to be thinking back on that memory as just a fact. Mm. So it's really removing the pain. There could still be emotion attached to it because, you know, when I think about my past 11-year-old self that was called short, fat with glasses, it does kind of make me a little bit sad that he had to experience that, but it doesn't cause me the pain anymore. So that's, that's a little bit, that's, that's quite, that's the way that, you know, when leaders come to work with me um, who don't have a whole lot of time to see the effects over, you know, six months or, or eight months, um, that's really where I think the magic lies that within literally the end of the weekend, their self-doubt, their you know, perfectionism, their burnout, whatever that might be, their relationship problem, it's gone. Wow. And do they walk out of the session feeling tired and like, like something happened or does it just kind of, you're okay and then you feel it as, some, as you move on? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, it's funny you say that. I, I get 50, 50-50. 50% of my okay. clients are completely exhausted because it is, it's a lot of hard work. Each, yeah. each day is you know, several hours we spend together because I do things uh, in a very condensed format. So there's a lot more time that we're spending together. And by the end of that first day, my client... 50% are totally exhausted. And obviously I let them know that like, you should probably go and have a nap or, you know, maybe take an hour off, maybe don't drive immediately home. So sorts of things, of course. And then 50% of my clients are so energetic. It's, it's amazing because, you know, that big burden that was on their back is finally lifted. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm going to go run around town right now. Or I'm going to hop on my bike or I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, and it's just, it's neat to see the dichotomy. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, oh, we only have seven minutes. We'll have to uh, reconnect because there's so much more I want to talk about and how, I don't know if you're going, getting into niches where you're working with like high schoolers or young people or athletes or veterans. I've seen incredible things. I have two brothers, uh, one's out of the military now, one's still in. And then a third one, I don't think he'll go in, but long story short, I've seen, you know, bag loads of uh, pharmaceuticals return to the VA because some of these veterans with heavy PTSD and TBIs be healed from some of these new age modalities um, and living different lives. I mean, it's so powerful. But are you working with any like specific niches or anything? 
Yeah, I love I love that you brought it back there because uh, I remember that I wanted wanted to talk about that earlier and I forgot. Um, I the way the way that the way that I'm working now is I'm actually I found that with each of my clients, regardless of who they were, you know, leaders in business or sports or film, every time their uh, their the source of their problems all stem back to their parents, and when I asked further questions, it's actually that's how their parents were raised too. And so this is a legacy that gets passed down from generation to generation to generation. So I, I figured, you know, if I just help that one client immensely, that's, that's amazing. And and I'm going to be forever grateful and they will too, I'm sure. Um, But it's so much more impactful if we can take the entire family through that same process and then repair each individual member's um, own individual problems. I kind of think of them as pillars of the family legacy. And if we can heal all of those cracks in the leg in each of those pillars, and then work on the entire family together, all of the relationships, then that family is going to be experiencing the same thing the individual ha- had, you know, um, calm, they're going to feel peaceful, they're going to have control, they're going to feel confident, all the good, positive things that we can feel. And then the whole dynamic of that family, the legacy is now going to have a proper foundation for generations to come. All right. And now is the whole family into that? Because it's one thing to reach our new age, young human that's open-minded, anything. And then there's grandpa or grandma that's like, oh no, we don't talk about our problems. Like how, how does that conversation go? Yeah, it's, 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 you're right. There is certainly uh, the stigma from the older generations for sure. So usually what, what happens is I'll get one member to kind of come in and start doing the process themselves first. And then when other family members pay attention at family dinners, et cetera, I say, Hey, Hey, hey Julie, what's wrong with you? Or what, how, how are you? How are you? So what's, what's happened in your life? And then, you know, my clients almost, 100% of the time are so thrilled to talk about the process that it really gets other members excited about it as well and they kind of want to hop in. And obviously with any type of treatment you can't treat anybody that's you know not consenting to the treatment. So unfortunately there's just some members perhaps that just can't be converted um you know into trying this new age treatment. Um but uh, sometimes you know let them know that there's there's actually a scientific heritage behind the treatment and is you know, over 30 years EMDR has been um, peer reviewed, studied, and and to show its effectiveness. So sometimes that can help the 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 really um, doubtful or skeptical member in the in the uh, later years of the family um, to maybe try it because it's quite medical in a lot of ways where we're dealing with the brain and and we can use language like you know injury versus you know issue. Um, cause it's, it's really earlier events that happened that caused the, the injury in your brain. So it, it's really about, I guess, finding the best language to kind of communicate that with the, or with the other, maybe not so excited members. Um, but at the end of the day, it's gotta be consensual. So, um, we just do our best and, and the, the legacy has to start changing with some member in the family it has to start with at least one. Uh, that's amazing. I agree with you as a comm major, you know how important your communication is as I'm messing up the acronym 47 times, but uh, how you live in particular with, you know, a, a, like a traumatic brain injury, you can't see it versus you see a veteran and, you know, they lose their arm or something that's, it's visual, but that something internal, 
we're as a society, we're still not accepting of that that is an injury and this is a conversation. So I love that. And I hope more and more families are open-minded to it. Uh, on that note, we, we never have enough time. I, I would love to recast with you if you're open to it at a later date. Sure. Um, how are people finding you? Is it all word of mouth right now? Or cause I know once this catches on, it'll be a thing, but it still hasn't, but I assume you're just busy anyways. Yeah. So, um, kind of, kind of two different ways. Number one, my website's the best way to get to know more about my specific process. And that's gregorcounseling.com. And that's the Canadian spelling of counseling. Um, maybe you can put that up in the show notes. I'll put all the, I'll put all your information up for sure. Um, and then the other way that I really I'm hoping that um, some more movement will happen for EMDR is with my celebrity clients and other celebrities that have gone through um, a, a similar you know, mental health treatment, um, or maybe mine, um, is to actually then showcase and share their story with their fans. Because that, that's really the reason why I work with leaders in those three different areas, business, film, and, and, and athletics. Because these are the people that the, the world looks up to. Your so they need to go through it first and share how amazing it is. And then that's how Sigma changes. Yes. Well, I mean, it's so, it's so funny that we're having this conversation because I, my marketing company specializes in brand ambassadors and influencers, but I say with a massive asterisk, we're not, you know, having naked people on Instagram. It's really facilitating a mutually beneficial relationship for both sides. And thankfully our influencers now have become a little more business savvy and the businesses know how to use them. Whole other podcast. But anyways, I agree with you. It's incredibly impactful and it's cost and time effective, but I really think that's how our young humans are consuming uh, their media and their suggestions. So it's powerful and I applaud that. And I really hope that you do have some great uh, people with following that can talk about this because you can not only save lives, live happier on the daily, but also I think facilitate change in our business structure, how, you know, the VA runs, how some of these major corporations deal with corporate wellness. I mean, there's the, the ripple effect is massive. And if you can get to some of these big voices and our companies at big dollars, that's where I think major change can happen. Um, yes. But yeah, any close, closing remarks? Yeah, yeah. And I think just on that, on that note is, you know, as we're going through this whole pandemic right now, that this this is this is what I believe is going to be the second wave, really. That we need, or that we need the sorry, the second curve that we need to flatten is the PTSD curve because there's going to be a lot of people going through this experience. This is a shared traumatic event that the whole world is experiencing at the same time, and it's not ending anytime soon. So it gets worse and worse and worse, triggering a lot more in each individual. So this is why huge corporations, especially, as well as, as any other smaller uh, entities, they need to um, champion the effectiveness and the value of mental health within the organizations, especially because so many more people are spending time at home. They're not going in and having the social element within the company. And mental health issues like depression and anxiety are not seen as readily through a Zoom camera as they might be in the, in the, in the water room or or in the break room. So this has to come from the top down, um, from the CEO, from the uh, vice president, from the board. Uh, and I, I hope that more companies will actually take a very serious look into how they can get each employee through a treatment process similar to uh, EMDR or anything else that's going to be helpful for them. Oh, I, I could not agree more. And I think some of our, like the Googles, the Facebook, some of these like forward thinking younger humans 
um, compared to your traditional CEO are questioning that way. And I don't, I don't know if that's the case, but I hope some of them are reaching out to you or some of your counterparts soon because it's critical. And even if you can't sell them on like the heart space front that you should do this, then your human is likely more, you know, profitable or can make more money or, you know, more productive, whatever. Um, so anyways, let's please cast again. I love what you're doing. I, I really appreciate the vulnerability and you being able to share your story related back to you as an example. Um, that's huge. Let's, like I said, I hate to have to cut off, but I'll put up all your information. Um, keep doing what you're doing and let's definitely connect again soon. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for joining Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Tune in next time and don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.